I got to say, every time college students wake up to come to church on a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, 1030, I consider that a miracle of God. I mean, on a Sunday morning, you have no business of waking up early, but here you are. And so we just want to say thank you. And uh, as we recognized, we do have some new friends in the room. We, uh, we're not going to make you do anything embarrassing or, you know, make you do anything weird here. But we just want to say how excited we are that you are here. Uh, I know the first couple of weeks, it, particularly for those of you who are brand new students, first year students, uh, the first week or so can feel like just chaos, craziness, right? Like you're just trying to, first couple of weeks, you're trying to keep your head screwed on straight. And, and, and so that's why here at ACF, uh, our desire is that maybe, just maybe, you would find a, a, a place where you can call home away from home here within this community. Uh, I don't know about you, but, but anytime I am home, I feel a little less stressed. Amen? I feel a little less anxious. I feel a little less overwhelmed. And so our prayer is that maybe God would have this church community, this body of believers, be that for you during your time here at Penn State. Now, I understand that we're not the only faith community here. We've got... Dozens of campus ministries uh, spread out uh, all across this campus, and there are many great campus ministries to be plugged into. If you're wondering what some of those are, uh, please come and speak with me, and I can point you in the right direction. But if some reason or somehow you would say, man, I'd like this place to be my home base, we would be delighted to walk with you during your time here at PSU. Now, I'd love to tell you a little bit more about who we are. This is our first gathering in a long time. I would love, there's nothing more that excites me than sharing with you what we're about here at ACF, what our DNA is, what, you know, what makes us tick, but we're not going to do that here this morning. Uh, in fact, if, if you want to dive a little bit more into, into who we are, uh, into what makes ACF ACF, I want to invite you out to this coming Tuesday night midweek. That's going to be our first kickoff. And so we'd love to have you uh, join us in Thomas Building, uh, room 201. We're going to be gathered together there. Uh, the first couple of weeks, yeah, you're going to learn a little bit more about who we are. But the, the, the essence of these gatherings is going to be spiritual formation and discipleship. And so if you want to be formed into the image and the likeness of Christ, and if you want to dive a little bit deeper than what we dive into on a Sunday morning, uh, Tuesday night midweeks, man, that's, that's where it's going to be happening. And so we'd love for you to, uh, to join us for that. The invitation is before you. But for today, today, we're going to be launching into a brand new sermon series that will actually take up most of this fall semester. And we're calling this series Rooted and Grounded. Rooted and grounded. And this is a study out of the book of Ephesians. And throughout the course of the series, I'm just going to give you some, some forewarning. We're going to be unpacking God's word slowly and digesting what the Holy Spirit feeds us week after week. How many of you have eaten something far too fast. You, you, you scarfed down a meal, and after the meal, you felt sick, you felt nauseous, you went back, you had to lay down for a couple hours, you just didn't feel good. We don't want to do that with God's Word. We don't, want, we don't believe that that's what you ought to do with God's Word. We, we believe that God's Word ought to be digested slowly as, as His Spirit downloads things into our spirit. And so we don't want to rush through this series. We're going to take our time because there's so many rich things to grab hold of in this book. Additionally, how many of you know it takes time for the word of God to work itself into the soil of our lives? 
Sometimes it takes time for the, for the word of God to take root into our lives. And so I want to be intentional in receiving all that God has for us in this series. Rooted and grounded. Church, won't you say those words with me here this morning? Rooted and grounded. One more time. Rooted and grounded. You know, friends, when I look around the world today, it quickly becomes evident and apparent to me that it doesn't take a lot for our lives to become disrupted or uprooted or ungrounded, right? It doesn't, it doesn't take much to lose our footing in life or our sense of stability and security. And I'm not even talking about COVID. I mean, yes, COVID was massively disruptive and it uprooted so many of our lives in, 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 in multiple ways we've gone through and we continue to process conversations about uh, mask wearing, around vaccines, around uh, mandates and restrictions and yada, 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 and I don't know about you, but I am so tired of it all. I mean, I'm just tired of it. But, but no matter where you fall on these issues, no matter where, you, where your opinion lies, all of this, wouldn't you agree that all of this has a way of uprooting our lives and disrupting relationships and causing some instability in every one of our souls? But again, I, I, I want to say, it's not just COVID. It's not just so many things have a way of uprooting our lives and uprooting us, and, and they don't have to be pandemic-sized things. I'm talking about something as small as a text message. Okay, think about it. How many of you have ever received a text message that calls your stomach to drop? You know what I'm talking about? I, I, it's, it's amazing to me what six little words that show up in your text message can do to your soul. I need to talk to you. It's like, oh my God, what do they need to talk to me about? What is she, did, did I do something to offend them? Did I, do, did I say something? I mean, your mind immediately races to a, a million different worst-case scenarios, all of which somehow end up with you dying. I mean, that, I, I don't know how that happens, but a little tiny text message that uproots your life. How about, how about for you studious types, a.k.a. nerds in the room? In case you're wondering if you're a nerd, if you're asking yourself, what does studious mean again? I'm not talking about you, okay? That's not, that's not you. Uh, listen, for, for those of us who are Penn State students, right, at, at the academic type, isn't it amazing what a number or a letter grade can do to our souls? Three little letters, GPA, can cause your soul to rise to the heavens or plummet to the great depths, right? Our academics, our grades, our performance, have the potential to uproot our lives in significant ways. What someone else thinks about us has the potential to uproot our lives in profound ways. How people interact with us on social media, how many notifications and pings that you get on your phone has a potential to shape the rest of our day. The overwhelming demands and pressures of life can cause us to lose our footing Repeatedly and repeatedly, there are so many things, friends, that are in our lives that have the potential to uproot and unground our lives. But church family, I want to ask you this morning, what if there was a better way to live? What if there was a better way to live? What if we didn't have to live this life on the fragile edge of our anxieties, of our insecurities, of the pressures of life, the opinions of others, where at any given moment it feels like we can teeter-totter over to our downfall? What if there was a better way to live? What if there was a, a way to live a less stressed life? 
to be a less anxious presence in the world. How, how, how many of you feel like, man, when you show up in, a, in, a, in an environment, you're showing up already anxious? What if there was a way to, to show up in, in any given space as a less anxious presence in our world? What if there was a way to be able to handle the hardships and the, and the curveballs that life throws at us in a far better way? You see, friends, I happen to believe there is a better way. And I'm talking about living a life that is rooted and grounded. A life that is rooted and grounded. And I believe Paul's letter to the Ephesians helps us discover this new and better way to live. A way to live a more rooted and grounded life. That, you know, that exact terminology, rooted and grounded, is actually embedded right in Ephesians chapter 3. Now, we're not, we're not quite there yet. As I said, we're going to take it slow, and so we'll get there. But today, we're going to look at chapter 1 first. In the opening verses, and I think you'll see that even in the opening verses, Paul is trying to paint a picture of what a rooted and grounded kind of life can look like. And so if you have your Bibles or a Bible app, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can use the handout that you received on your way in. We'll also display the text up here on the screen as well. Now, as you're finding your place, let me give you some brief context. As I mentioned, this is the Apostle Paul who, who actually wrote half of the New Testament. He's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. And you'll see that in the opening verses here in just a moment. But, but here's the thing. Many scholars actually believe that this wasn't just a letter intended for the Ephesians. Now, on top of your Bibles, it might say Ephesians, okay? Um, but, but many scholars believe that this wasn't just for the people of Ephesus, but rather that this letter was intended to be circulated around the churches, uh, all the churches that Paul was involved with in Asia Minor. This letter was to sort of serve as a, a kind of blueprint for Christians everywhere, everywhere for how to live life together as the people of God. In fact, many scholars believe that Ephesians is, is Paul's final thesis of sorts. This is his ringing of the gong. You know, this is, his, this is his final project. They believe that this letter contains some of Paul's most profound and important thoughts all wrapped up in this one letter. You might say that Ephesians is a collection of Paul's greatest hits of all time. And so while this letter is addressed to the Ephesians, church family, I believe that this has much to do with us here today at Penn State University in 2021 as it did for the church in Ephesus. And so look with me at Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 1. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version, but go ahead and follow along in what, whatever version you have in front of you. And uh, let's dive into what God has for us here today. Ephesians chapter 1, picking up at verse 1, we'll carry through to verse 14. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Friends, if I were to sum up the entirety of today's passage, Ephesians chapter 1, 1 through 14 in one statement, if I were to sum up all of what Paul is trying to capture here in this passage in the opening verses in one statement, I would probably put it this way. You don't know what you have until you realize what you have. You don't know what you have until you realize what you have. That's my big idea today. Uh, earlier today, uh, our, our leadership team and some volunteers, we gathered together for some prayer, and uh, our president, Josiah, shared a devotion. He said, I got three points following our pastor, just three points. I don't have three points today. I'm going off track here. I've got one point, and this is the one central point that I want to camp out on for the rest of this morning. You don't know what you have until you realize what you have. Now, what in the world are you talking about, Dan? Recently, my wife and I uh, finished a Netflix series called Outer Banks. Any fans out there? Any, any of you seen Outer Banks? Yeah, okay, a couple of you. Um, awesome. I, 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 my wife and I, my wife in particular, is convinced that God is calling us to move down south to, to live as pogues for life. That's what she wants. It's like, I feel like God is calling us. I, I don't know about that. But the, the, if you don't know the premise of the story, if you don't know that, if you haven't watched the show, it's basically a story about a group of teens who are on the hunt for some hidden treasure. And each step along the way, they end up with little clues. Uh, they don't quite know what to make of these clues. They don't know what these clues mean. And they don't always know the gravity of these clues, but they find these clues, they come across these clues. And so, for example, they carry around a key. Uh, but they don't know what that, that, that key can access the next set of clues. Or they have an old rundown map in their possession. They don't know that the secret is hidden within the map. In other words, they don't know what they have until they realize what they have. And as the story progresses and as each episode c continues on, when they realize that, that the key opens this door or, or the map is showing this next step in their journey, it begins to change their story. It begins to change their journey altogether. You see, what Paul is trying to tell us here in the opening verses of Ephesians chapter 1 is you don't know what you have until you realize what you have. And when you realize what you have, it will change your story and your journey. And so the question, church family, is do you realize what you have? Do you know what you have? And if you don't, that's okay because Paul tells us right here in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul is saying, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, if you have bowed your knee to the Lordship of Christ, do you know what you have? You have every spiritual blessing from on high. Now you might say, whoop de doo <laughs> What does that even mean? What does that exactly entail? Well, Paul spends the rest of this passage telling us exactly what it is that we have. And you want to know what, what they are? Let me, let me begin to unpack this for you. I'm going to use, in fact, I'm going to use a terminology that you're all familiar with, or by now you should be familiar with. Two little words. We are. We are. You didn't know Paul was a Nittany line, did you? We are. Now listen to what Paul says. Paul says, we are chosen in love. We are chosen in love. The text tells us that God chose us. I don't know if you've ever been chosen for a team. You know, you know, like the, 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 you're playing out, you know, with all your buddies and you're, you know, pick up basketball. They're, they're calling out teams. I want you. I want you. I want you. Right. How, how many of you know the best players get chosen first? Right. Right. It's like, uh, Jimmy knows how to, how to throw down. Like, I, I want Jimmy on my team because I've seen Jimmy play. Jimmy's a baller. I want him on my team. That's going to guarantee our win. You begin to choose your players, and you begin to choose your team. The text tells us that God chose us. He looked around, and he says, I want you on my team. I want you on my team. I want you want my team. I want you on my team. He begins to choose us. But get this, get this. As if that's not awesome enough, the text says he chose us before the foundation of the world. In other words, before we even proven ourselves, before we even shown God that we are worthy of being chosen, before we even shot a basketball, before we even played a game, God said, no, no, no. I choose you not based on your performance, but out of my extravagant love for you. You see, he flips the choosing upside down completely on his head. He says, I choose you because of my love for you. I don't choose you because you've proven yourself to me. I choose you in love. God chose us simply because of his extravagant, extraordinary love for us. Paul says, we are adopted into his family. Did you know that spiritually speaking, we were all, every single one of us, it doesn't matter if you grew up in the church or if you grew up in an atheistic home, if you grew up, whatever your spiritual background was, all of us at one point, spiritually speaking, were once orphans without a family and without a home. Now, not, not physically speaking, I'm talking spiritually speaking. We were all orphans without a home, but because of what Jesus had done for us on the cross, we are now officially adopted into the greatest family that has ever existed. We are adopted into the family of God. God chose us for adoption. He said, I want you. I want you. He brought us home. He brought us home. Paul says, we are redeemed by his blood. We are redeemed by his blood, which means that you and I, in the eyes of God, were seen as so valuable. 
This one boggles my mind. This, that, that we were seen as so precious in God's sight that he chose to purchase us and redeem us. And the currency that he used was of the most valuable currency there could ever be. It was the life of his son, the blood of the lamb. And it's because of Christ's shed blood for us. It's for that reason that we have been redeemed. We've been saved. We've been bought. For some of you, you've heard this terminology. We've been bought with a price. This is what it means. We are redeemed with the most costly currency there is. We are redeemed by the blood of Christ. And it's because of that very costly sacrifice that Paul then says, we are forgiven of our sins. We're forgiven of our sins. Now, listen, if you grew up in the church, you would have heard that sentiment expressed no less than a thousand times. Why did Jesus die for you, young Bobby? To die for our sins, to forgive us of our sins. You know, that, that's like, you know, yes, we heard that over and over again. And I don't know about you, but when you hear something over and over again like that, sometimes it loses its meaning, its gravity. But let me remind you what this means. It means that every wrongful deed, every misguided thought, Every ill-intentioned motive of your heart, every misstep, whether on purpose or by accident, they are all forgiven, washed clean, and taken care of. They're all accounted for. Every single one, even the ones that you don't even know about, even the ones that you haven't done or thought up yet, they're all covered. And no matter the degree of the severity of your wayward thoughts or your actions, some of you, I don't know what your background is like. I don't know what your spiritual journey has been like. But for some of you, you're like, man, but you don't know my past. You don't know my history. You don't know what I did last week or even last night. You don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The severity of your sin and your waywardness does not matter. God in Christ Jesus says, I see it, I know about it, and I've taken care of it. It's all taken care of. We are forgiven of our sins. Friends, that ought to rock your world. That ought to rock your core. And Paul's like, in case you missed it, let me put it this way for you. He goes on and he says, we are lavished with his grace. We are lavished with his grace. We're going to talk more about grace when we get to chapter 2. But Paul is reminding us that God has lavished us. I love that concept. If you could just think about this with me for just a moment. If you can just imagine God literally pouring out, emptying himself of grace, flooding our lives with grace, overflowing our hearts and brimming over with grace. We are lavished with his grace. We're not just sprinkled with his grace. We don't just have a spattering of his grace. We're, we're not just slightly touched by God's grace. The text tells us that we are lavished with God's grace, which means that his grace never runs out. How many of you know our grace always runs out? right? You, you, get, you get a little sick and tired of someone. How many of you know? No more grace for you. I'm done with you. You know, you, you know you're, you're going to have to find grace somewhere else because I've run out of grace for you. When we get fed up with people, we don't want to extend grace. When we're hurt by people, our natural intrinsic reaction, internal reaction is not to extend grace. We want to withhold grace, but that is not our God. Our God says, my grace for you never runs out. The river of my grace never runs dry. 
It keeps going and going and going. And I want to lavish you with grace day in and day out. Friends, we're going to need God's grace to get through this semester. You're going to need God's grace to get through this year. You're going to need God's grace to overcome the heartaches, the headaches, the, the relational strains that you experience, the personal disappointments that you experience just this semester. You're going to need God, God's grace. And so can someone say, thank you for God's grace. We are lavished. We are lavished with his grace. Paul says, we are chosen. We are shown his will. We are shown his will. We just have two more. This is second to the last one. We are shown his will. How many of you know, I don't know where Christians have gotten this idea somewhere along the way. I don't know, maybe personal experience. The church has taught this. I don't know. But how many of you know that God has no desires to play hide and seek with you? For some of us, we think, oh man, if God can only show me, if I can just see what God sees and, and you know, and there that, that is a legitimate prayer. I pray that all the time. And I pray, that, but, but there, there's a difference between wishful thinking and, oh God, if, if, if you want to show me, great. If, but, but, and, and then there's a difference between wishful thinking and confidently knowing that God actually wants to be found, that his will wants to be known before us. The text says the mystery of his will is given to us in all wisdom and insight. We have access to the heart of God. We can know his heart and his desires for our lives. We are shown his will. All we need to do is come and receive the revelation of God. God, whatever it is that you want to reveal to us, I'm walking in confidence of that here today. We are shown his will. I don't know about you, but I can use that in my life, that confidence, that assurance that God wants to reveal his will to me. But sometimes my ears and my eyes are just not in tune to receive what God has for me. See, it's not an issue of God's desire for me. It's the issue of my ability and my capacity to see what God wants me to see and to hear what God wants me to hear. Sometimes my own junk gets in the way of that. And so I got to get myself to a place to say, oh, God, uh, I know you're not looking to play this cosmic game of hide and seek. You actually want to show me what to do and how to live right now. And so, God, I'm here to receive. You don't know what you have until you realize what you have. We're shown his will. And lastly, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. There's probably a couple more pieces that I can unpack there between uh, verses 9 and 13. But, but let, me just, let me just end it with this one. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. If you are a born-again believer... If you are a born-again believer, you have been given the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God as a seal. Now, what does this mean? What this means is that everything that we just talked about up until this point is confirmed and proven to be accurate and true because God has given us his presence in the Holy Spirit to guarantee that we receive and experience every one of these spiritual blessings from on high. That's what Paul means when, when he says this Holy Spirit that God has given to us is a guarantee of our inheritance. You want to know how you're sure, how to be confident that we actually are chosen in love, that we are redeemed by his blood. You, you want to know how all of this is accurate and true? He's given us the seal of the Holy Spirit to say, hey, 
I'm putting my seal on this. I'm putting my promise. I'm putting my stamp of approval on this to say that you, people of God, have all of this in Christ Jesus. Every spiritual blessing from on high is yours. You don't know what you have until you realize what you have. Friends, do you realize what you have this morning? Do you realize what you have? See, when you realize what you have in Christ Jesus, it changes everything about how you look at life. It changes how you handle life circumstances and all the hardships that would would normally uproot your life and rock your world. You see, when you, listen, when you realize you are chosen by God in love, all of a sudden the opinions of others don't seem to carry as much weight on your soul. Why should it? The God of the universe chose you. So who cares if you're not chosen on earth? When you realize that God, you are chosen by God in love, the opinions of others just fall to the wayside. When you realize you are adopted by God into his family, you realize you now have a place to belong and call home. You're no longer orphans, but you have a loving father who cares for you every waking moment of your life. When you realize you're redeemed by his blood, your sense of identity becomes secure. It's no longer in question. Your sense of identity is is no longer in question, but rather it becomes stabilized and secure because that issue of who you are has been settled on the cross by what he has done. He says, you're valuable. You're precious enough that I would have paid the greatest commodity there is. My own blood, my own life. When you realize Your sins are eternally forgiven. You don't get bogged down by the mistakes of your past and the screw-ups of yesterday. But rather, you're able to move forward and walk in the grace of God, which he lavishes upon you. And boy, when you realize just how lavished with grace you are, you're able to freely love others without any expectations of receiving anything in return. Freely we've received and freely we give because that's what grace is and that's what God did for us. When you realize that we are shown his will, we don't have to live in fear of the future anymore. Some of us are so fearful of the future. I get it. The future can be scary. The unknown can be scary. But when we are shown his will, we don't have to sit in fear, but rather we can rest assured that God knows what he's doing and we can walk step by step with him because we're invited to come and know his heart as he leads us in his perfect timing. When we realize that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, you begin to rest in the promises of God. And you begin to trust that all these things that God says he has given to us, all these things that that God says we are in his word are actually indeed who we are. It is part of our eternal inheritance as children of God. That's what happens when you realize that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up and uh, we're going to close out with this one final song here this morning. But listen, I want you to hear me, friends. Everything that would potentially uproot you, and I don't know what they are. I, I don't know what in your life has the power to rattle your core. I don't know what in your life comes along and, and, and it has the potential to unground your life. But everything that would potentially uproot you and unground you all of a sudden loses its power 
when you realize what you have in Christ Jesus. You don't know what you have until you realize what you have. And church, I pray that this semester, I don't know what the semester has for you. And maybe that's where some of the anxiety comes for some of us, the, the, the unknown of this semester, the future of this semester, and the future of this year. Will Penn State switch things up again on us? Or will we, you know, will, will I get sick with, with, with this virus? Or, or will, will my loved ones be affected by this? Or how are my classes going to be affected by this? How is my social life going to be affected by this? There are so many things that are coming up down the pike that we just don't know about. But it's not for us to know about. You see, the the thing that makes us as the people of God and as followers of Jesus fundamentally different from the people of of, of the world or, or really anyone else, the difference is I know what I have in Christ Jesus and I can rest in that assurance. Every morning when I wake up, I can wake up with that assurance. I'm chosen in love. I'm eternally forgiven of my sins. I'm redeemed by his blood. I'm shown his will. He shows me his heart. He reveals to me what he wants for my life. He has sealed me with his Holy Spirit. Every night when you go to bed and you begin to race through your day and all the things, missed opportunities and screw-ups that you've done, things that you've just, just kind of, you miss the mark. You can go to bed at night knowing I've got every spiritual blessing from on high. And when I wake up in eight hours, for some of you, three hours, I can know that the reality stays the same. That though life changes, though life ebbs and flows, this truth, this reality, I've got every spiritual blessing from on high. That will never change. So as long as you have bowed your knee to the Lordship of Jesus, so as long as you identify yourself as a Christ follower, I want you to know what you have. You have every spiritual blessing from on high. There might be some of you here today that you have not bowed your knee to the Lordship of Jesus. Maybe you're here today because a friend invited you. Maybe you're here today and you're not really sure where you stand spiritually or where you stand, uh, you know, with, with religion or Christianity or this whole God thing. That's okay. That's okay. First of all, so glad you're here. <laughs> okay. Can I just say that? I want, I want everyone to know. ACF is not a place for holy rollers to come around and maybe have ourselves a little like holy huddle and be like, this is for Christians only. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not what the church of Christ is about. That's not what the people of God is about. We want to open our doors and say, hey, listen, if you're questioning, if you're wrestling with this, hey, let us wrestle together with you. Let's wrestle through this together. But here's the beautiful thing about the invitation of the gospel. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel of Jesus says, hey, all of this, what we just talked about, can be yours. All you have to do is come before God in a humble posture of receiving and say, God, I trade my life for your best. That's a good deal. Just letting you know. That's a bargain, okay? You're making out on the better end. When you say, I give my life to you, to receive all of this, every spiritual blessing from on high, 
Oh man, that's like that's like thievery. I mean, that, that's robbery. I mean, but but that's that's the invitation of the gospel to all of us. If you don't believe in God, if you're not so sure about this whole God thing, but you're like, man, that's that all this sounds good. I I want to know that every morning I wake up and every night I go to bed that I'm chosen by God in love, that I don't have to weigh the opinions of others higher than what God thinks about me. I, I, I want to know that I'm eternally forgiven, that I'm not bound by my screw-ups and my mistakes in my life. I, yeah, I want that great news. All you got to do is come before God and just say, God, I give my life to you. In return, God, I want all of the spiritual blessings that this pastor talked about. God, I pour it out onto me. Lavish me with your grace. I receive all that you have for me. In fact, church family, can we just pray just for a moment? Just where you are with every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you're saying, God is the Holy Spirit of God is stirring in your heart and you're saying, man, that's, I don't know that before I came in here today, I, I, I don't know that that's, that was available. That was all accessible. Maybe you're here today and you say, I want to receive that. Scripture says that the salvation of God, the gifts of God are free. They're free. And all they need to do is be received by faith. So if you're here today, you want to receive the spiritual blessings from God, every spiritual blessing from on high. If you want this inheritance to be yours, it can be. You just come before God and say, God, I give my life to you. I surrender my life to you. I bow my knee to the Lordship of you, Jesus. Lead me in the way of everlasting. Lord Jesus, there are friends here today that may have grown up in the church all their life and maybe even identify themselves as followers of Jesus and as Christians, and yet we have, we have come away from this truth, this reality, this gospel reality that, man, we... For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we've got everything in Christ. And when we realize all that we have in you, Jesus, Lord, I believe that those are the moments when the root system of our lives begin to grow deeper and deeper. So that the things that would normally rattle us and the things that would normally uproot us, the things that would normally strike anxiety and panic to our souls, don't quite carry that much weight anymore. Because when we when we realize what we have in you, Jesus, oh man, we begin to walk and live in this rooted and grounded kind of way. So Lord, we need your help. We need your help to do this. We need the help of your Holy Spirit to spur us on and to lead us on here in this way. God, thanks for Thanks for this day, this, this opportunity to gather in this way once again as, as a faith community here on, on Penn State's campus. What a joy it is to have this pocket of moment on a Sunday morning for the people of God to gather and to give glory and praise to the name of Jesus, to, to receive the word of God and the truth of your word. And so, Lord, cause us, cause us to to cry out for more of you this semester, to more of you for, for this day. Lord, we need you more than ever. We look to you. 
And it's in the strong name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Church family.